Father, we just thank you for your word and especially uh, the words that you give us here in the book of Hebrews. And Lord, uh, what a great message there is in this book about the majesty of Jesus Christ, Lord, how he is so much greater than the prophets. Lord, he's so much greater than Moses. He's so much greater than the law. Uh, Lord, he is our, you are our creator. Uh, you, by yourself, purged us of our sins. And as we're going to see today, Lord, you're so much greater than the angels. Lord, the angels fall down and worship you. And Lord, uh, that's what the book of Hebrews should do for all of us, Lord. It should, should bring us to a place where we see you for who you are, God Almighty. And Lord, uh, we realize what you've done for us, and it causes us to, to worship as the angels worship. Lord, we cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. It's in his precious name that I pray. Lord, we ask you to bless this, this study by the power of your spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Back in 1985, I don't know if you remember this incident or not. Some of you probably aren't old enough to remember it. But, but uh, the, there was a space station that, that the Russians had in orbit over the earth, Salyut 7. You might have remembered this. They had six Cosmonauts, cosmonauts is what they call them, on the spaceship, and a commander. And they were on the 165th day of their mission. And suddenly they saw this glowing light coming through the walls of the spaceship into their cabin, and uh, it, was, it, was, it almost blinded them. And it was a golden, almost an orangish gold color. And they looked out the portholes, the windows, and they could see uh, seven beings, these humanoid-like beings with wings flying next to their spacecraft. Uh, they, of course, you know, saw them as angels, and, and uh, they stayed and flew next to them for, for about 10 minutes, and then they flew away. Well, on day, 61, on day 167 of their mission, the, the glowing light came into their uh, cabin again, and they looked out the window, and there were these seven angels with, with this glow coming off their head, looking into their windows, and they were smiling. Now, why they were smiling, I don't know. And when, they, when these cosmonauts came back to Earth, and they landed... Uh, they were quizzed on what took place because they had reported this uh, back to the home base as it was taking place. And, and uh, the scientists the, were pretty, uh, uh, you know, doubtful about what had happened. And, and uh, they figured that maybe they had all just had, a, you know, had been in space so long that they were having a hallucination. Well, you know, I doubt that, seeing there were six cosmonauts and a commander and they all had the same hallucination. So... I think they saw something out there. I think they saw some kind of angelic being. I mean, we don't know what it was. It might have been a seraphim or a cherubim or, or it might have been a demonic angel. But they saw something out there that day. Now, every society throughout history uh, has reported some type of sightings of angels. Uh, there's been an infatuation with angels throughout the history of mankind. If you have ever go to Europe and you go into the museums and you look at the artwork uh, from the Dark Ages, from the Middle Ages, uh, from the Renaissance, you see all of these paintings 
about angels. I mean, you look at the paintings of Rembrandt and Botticelli and uh, Michelangelo and Bernini and Cavaragnon, and, and uh, they really have this thing about angels, especially little naked angels. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, it, it's something that we've seen throughout history, this infatuation with angels. I mean, today in our society, if you mention angels, I mean, everybody's ears perk up. You know, you know they want to hear what you have to say. There's a poll recently taken that says over 70% of Americans believe in angels. How many of y'all believe in angels? I'd say it's probably 100% in here. If it's not, you, you're probably not saved yet because you, you, you know that the word is true and the word speaks of angels. Uh, but fit, over 50% of Americans believe that everyone has their own guardian angel. How many of y'all believe everyone has their own guardian angel? I do, Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. I got you on that one. You know, we might have, you might have an angel hanging around with you. My wife's an angel. I, I, you know, some, some people that say their wife's a devil, but mine's an angel. But you might have an angel hanging around. I mean, uh, our society, you know, has, has, pays a lot of attention to angels. There's been a lot of movies about angels recently. Uh, that movie Fallen and Gabriel, and I like angels in the outfield. Uh, the City of Bones, The Littlest Angel, Constantine, TV shows. There's a couple of TV shows out right now about angels. There's one called Angels and Demons and another one called Angels. So there's, there's a lot of attention in our society being paid to angels, especially by the New Agers. Now, I don't know if you know about New Agers or not, but that's a pretty popular thing right now uh, for people who don't want to believe in Jesus Christ, but they, but they don't want to be a humanist or a secularist, so they... So they believe in something called the New Age. And uh, they're really big into angels. They believe that angels are the gateway into the spiritual world. They're the ones that will get you into the spiritual world. They believe that angels will usher in the, the New Age. And so they're really big into angels. Listen to what uh, their spokesman Terry Lynn, or one of their spokesmen Terry Lynn says about angels. He says it's angels that make life worth living. They provide us with unconditional happiness and fun. They help us in romance. They help us to attain wealth. They take away the worries of life. I wonder, where's my angel been? You know, take away the worries of life. And, and if you were to go into a bookstore today, I don't know if you've been in one of these large box bookstores lately, but go check out what they, their, their section on the New Age and, sec- and in the New Age section, you'll find all sorts of books about angels and how you can uh, make contact with angels through channeling and through crystals and through meditation on angels and visual- vis- visualization of angels. And they even have a book in the bookstore. They'll tell you how you're to dress and what colors you're to wear if you want to make contact with angels. Now, I have a hunch they're making contact with the wrong kind of angel, but uh, there, there, there really is this, this uh, desire of people to want to know more about angels. And most people actually believe, most of these Americans that believe in angels believe that when you die, if you're good, you will become an angel. 
I mean, you, you, isn't that kind of the mainstream idea? I mean, everybody believes in it's a wonderful life, the theology there, right? And what I don't, but, but what was, remember Clarence in that movie? I mean, he was an angel. At least he was trying to get his wings. He was trying to become an angel by doing something good. He'd come back to earth to help this guy, and by doing something good, he would become an angel. So, you know, I, I guess some would say it's a good thing that there's so much interest in the supernatural because Jesus is involved in the supernatural. What we believe in is about the supernatural. But I'm, I'm not encouraged by this interest in angels. Uh, I agree with what uh, Ron Rhodes said. Listen to what he says. He says, what should be of concern to us is that this interest in angels is more a reaction to secular, secularism and humanism than it is, in, is, is to God. People are not relating to God, but to God's angels, not to the creator, but to the creation. And so what you see today, and you really see this with Christians too, there's a lot of so-called Christians who believe in angels, and they actually worship angels. They worship statues of angels. They bow down to angels, and they believe that angels are a mediator between God and man. And so if you want to get to God, you have to go through Angels. There's a lot of people that believe that. And so uh, we need to get all of that straightened out. But nothing's new. there's nothing new under the sun. And where we're heading with this is, is back in the days of the first century when the author of Hebrews wrote Hebrews. Again, I believe it's Paul, so I'm going to say Paul. When Paul wrote Hebrews, there was this infatuation with angels back then. And you can understand why, because because. You remember when the law, I mean, who were the most important, the most important things to the Jew? There were two, there was one person and one thing, the law and Moses. To them, those were the two most important things in their religious life. And where did Moses get the law? He got it on Mount Sinai, and if, over in Deuteronomy, it tells us that there were thousands of angels present when he was given that law. And so the, you can understand why they had this high regard for angels. And, and like people today, like, like non-Christians today, they believed in guardian angels. Uh, they believed in the death angel. Uh, they saw angels as mediators between God and man. Uh, they actually believed that, that they, they actually believed in recording angels. They believed that there was an angel that that went around with you, and he recorded every good deed you did and every bad deed you did. And, and then you, that's where God had his record when he, at the judgment day, if, if you had too many bad deeds, then, then you would end up in a bad place. If you had a lot of good deeds that outweighed your bad deeds, then you would end up in a good place. They believed in, that there, some Jews believed that there was a good angel that sat on your shoulder and a bad angel that sat on your shoulder. And I almost believe that. And he, the, good, the, bad, the good angel said, you need to go this way. You need to do this thing right. You need to stay out of here. You need to, be, you need to live righteously. And then there was a bad angel said, oh, what's wrong with that? I mean, you, what would be wrong with you, you know, doing this or doing that? And so, so uh, they believed that, that there was, there were, they, they had just a really high view of angels. They, some some uh, Jews actually believed that every star in the sky was controlled by an angel. Each star had its own angel, and, and that star was controlled by that angel. There were, they, they, they believed there were so many angels that, 
that uh, one rabbi said that every blade of grass has its own angel. So they were really into angels. Now the Sadducees, they were secularists and they didn't believe in anything supernatural, but all the rest of the Jews did and that, that made up most of their population. So, so before we get into this section on Hebrews about angels, let's, let's talk a minute let's, about what the Bible has to say about angels. And, and, and I'll just go through a few things here real quickly before we get into our text. The first thing that the Bible tells us is that there are a bunch of angels. I mean, if you go over to Revelation chapter 5, and you don't have to turn there, but we're told there that there are 10,000 times 10,000 of angels before the throne of God. John has this vision of the throne of God, and he sees 10,000 times 10,000 of angels. And then he, to add to that, he says thousands times thousands more. In other words, what John was saying was there were more angels than you could possibly number standing before the throne of God. And so we know there's lots of angels. Uh, we know that these angels were created in eternity past. Who created them? Who created the angels? We'll get to that again in a minute. But who created the angels? Jesus created the angels. I mean, in Colossians 1, verse 16, we looked at that last week. All things were created by him and for him and through him. Both powers, both things in heaven and things on earth, both things visible and invisible, powers and dominions, they were all created by him. So Jesus is the creator of the angels. Uh, in in, in uh, the book of Genesis, uh, when Jacob has his vision, you remember what Jacob sees. He sees angels descending and ascending from, de descending from heaven and ascending back to heaven on Jacob's ladder. Who is Jacob's ladder? Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus Christ that sends these angels back and forth between heaven and earth. His eyes were open and he saw these angels ascending and descending from heaven. So they have access to earth, and they can go back and forth between heaven and earth. Now, I don't believe that demonic angels can do that anymore, and I'm not going to go into the theology of that, but you can go back and, and uh, maybe look back in John chapter 12 when I talked about that some. Uh, when Jesus Christ died on this earth, Satan fell, and Satan and his angels do not have access to heaven anymore because their access to heaven was to go and accuse you. And once Jesus died for you and paid for, for all your sins, they had no, no longer did they have any right to accuse you anymore. And so I don't believe they have access to heaven, but the good angels do. The Bible reveals that these angels are highly organized. I mean, there's seraphim and there's cherubim. Uh, there's... Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, he describes them as principalities and powers. There's rulers of darkness. They're, they have their own hierarchy. I mean, a great book to read. Somebody was telling me they read that book last week. It's the Screwtape Letters. If, you've ever read, if you haven't read that book, it's a, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a fictional story, but it does give you a picture of, of some of the hierarchy of these angels, uh, at least speculation on what it might be like. But, but uh, Michael is God's archangel. Satan is the archangel over the demonic angel. So they, they do have uh, an organization. Uh, we know that angels can take bodily form. Look around. There might be an angel. I don't think so. <laughs> but there might be an angel in this room right now. <laughs> 
because they can take bodily form. How do I know that? Because over in the book of Hebrews, uh, over, we're in the book of Hebrews, but in chapter 13 of Hebrews, we're told that, uh, you know, don't hesitate to entertain strangers because you might be entertaining angels unaware. That means you might have somebody come to your house, a stranger come to your house, and it actually looked like a human being, but it really is an angel. There are angels walking among us. I have no doubt about that. So they can take on human form. We know that angels are very powerful beings. Remember back in chapter 24 of 2 Samuel when we finished up and David had taken that census and God was punishing Israel for David's taking that census? Remember there was one angel who killed 70,000 Israelites and he was standing uh, above Jerusalem and he was about to kill everybody in Jerusalem and God stopped him? This one angel... Over in 2 Kings chapter 19, one angel kills 185,000 Syrians, just like that. 185,000 people, just like that. You know, that's why I sort of laugh when I hear people rebuking Satan. I, I, it kinda, I, I mean, if one angel can kill 185,000 people just like that, who in the world do you think you are rebuking Satan? I mean, Jude speaks of, of, uh, of even the fact that even Michael the archangel dared not to rebuke Satan. Now, let me say this. If you do that right, if you bring your, your friend Jesus along with you, he can take care of Satan. And, and if you're, when you say, I'm rebuking Satan, you're really saying, Jesus, you're rebuking Satan for me. Hey, that's okay if that's your mindset. But you have no power over these angels. Let me tell you right now. You and your flesh, you have no power on the, uh, over these angels. They're much greater than, than uh, uh, the rest of us. Now, we're also told that, that demons are fallen angels. I mean, we talk about de demons as if they're some kind of separate creation. No, they were angels. Uh, Satan was just like Michael the archangel. He was just like Gabriel. They're they're fallen angels. In Jude 6, we're told that they're angels who did not keep their proper dominion but left their own abode. In Genesis chapter 6, we're given this strange story of how the angels came down and they liked what they saw when they looked at the daughters of men. They liked the, the way women looked and they mated with women and they had offspring so they could procreate in that sense. They can procreate with human beings. And they created this race of giants called the Nephilim. And so, I mean, that's a really strange passage, but I have no doubt that happened. So, so they can take on human form, uh, these demonic angels, and they can actually uh, reproduce themselves, or reproduce and create a, another demonic being. Uh, that's some mysterious stuff, and, and uh, we certainly can't figure that all out. There's some strange, really strange things going on in this angelic world. I mean, there's this positioning for power uh, that we see. We get a few glimpses of it in the Bible, like the time when, when the Michael came to, to Daniel and he told him that he had been delayed by the prince of Persia, this demonic angel, for 21 days. Now, Michael, the archangel, is 
as great of an angel as there is, but he was delayed 21 days by the, by the power of this prince of Persia. So, so there's something going on behind the scenes that, that we, a lot of things going on behind the scenes that, that we don't see. Now, we also know that evil angels can enter men and women. I mean, we see that over and over again in the New Testament, how evil angels possess, uh, I don't believe they can possess Christians, uh, but uh, if you give them an open door and you're not a Christian, then, then uh, hey, you're, you're opening up for legions of demons to come and possess your body. Does that happen today? Man, I have no doubt it happens today. When I read some story about uh, a 10 policemen that can't hold down one skinny little guy and they, they're hitting him with uh, tasers and mace and everything else and they still can't hold him down, I've got a hunch there's something demonic going on right there that more than likely that person is demonically uh, possessed. Now here's the really another really strange thing I want you to to see. Do you realize that angels are watching us all the time? They're watching us all the time. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we have been a spectacle both to men and to angels. I mean, the spectator sport for, for angels isn't the Super Bowl. The spectator sport for the angels is to watch you and me. And man, they get some good laughs watching us, I'm sure. In 1 Corinthians, here's, here's, a, here's another really strange passage. In 1 Corinthians 11.10, it says, In church, women ought to cover their heads because the angels are looking down. They're watching. And so, it's as if right now, there are angels looking down. I believe, no doubt, if our eyes were opened at this point, and we could see there are angels in this very room this very moment. Evil angels. And if you're a pretty woman, they're probably looking down on you with lust. So you might want to cover your head. Uh, if you're not pretty, don't worry about it. All, no, all, <laughs> all of you, everybody in here, all the women in here need to cover their head. I'm not getting in any trouble. But that's, that, that was something Paul told the churches to do, and he wasn't joking. I mean, I'm joking now, but he wasn't joking. I'm sure they laughed, <laughs> but, but he was serious. He was serious. They looked down on women. There are good angels in this room. There's angels that will tell you you've got to go to the bathroom here in a minute. Get up and disturb every bit of this. There's angels that'll tell you, man, aren't you sleepy? Isn't he boring you half to death? You know, I mean, golly, not off. You deserve a little, a little sleep here. There are angels. I believe there are angels in this room. And one of these angels was to reveal himself right now in all of his glory. I mean, if these guys, these cosmonauts, said these angels were the size of jetliners. If, if, one of these angels was to reveal himself right now. Uh, don't do it. But if he was to do it, you know what we would do? We would probably fall down and worship him. That's what, Gabriel, I mean, that's what Daniel did when he saw Gabriel. He fell down and worshiped. So these are magnificent beings. And, and if it wasn't for what we know in the Bible, we would maybe think, if we were to see one, we would certainly think that they were worthy 
of worship. They're amazing creatures. And they were such an integral part of Jewish history that the Jews all but worshipped the angels. And they had sightings of angels, and so, so to them the angels were like gods. In a lot of religions today, the angels are like gods. Well, one of the main reasons that Paul, well, the main reason that Paul wrote this book was to show the superiority of Jesus Christ over everything. Last week, he showed us that Jesus is superior over the prophets. Uh, he's going to show us later on that he's superior over Moses. He's going to show us that he's superior over uh, Melchizedek, the great priest who going forth or from everlasting. Today he's going to show us how Jesus is infinitely superior over angels. So let's, let's go to our text. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Hebrews. And let's, let's go back and set the setting. Again, Paul or whoever wrote this book has written this to show the superiority of Jesus Christ and, and, why, and, and, and just who it is who died for us on a cross. Just who it was who emptied himself of his glory and came to this earth and died for you and I. It wasn't an angel. It wasn't a prophet. It wasn't a good guy. It was God Almighty. And, we, and until we see that, we'll never enter the holiest of holies. And what was the purpose of this book? To get us into the holiest of holies. And so, he, what Paul is trying to do here, he's trying to show how great Jesus is in, refer, in, in respect to everything else so that we understand who he, it was who died for us and what he did for us and to, so that we rest totally in him and that we can enter the holiest of holies. And so he begins by saying in verse number 1, he says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, everything, the eons. That means everything, the ages and everything in the age who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of the Father's glory, and the express image of his, the Father's person. He's the same person as the Father. We looked at that last week. And upholding all things, he holds all things together. By the word of his power, just by his word, he holds all things together. When he, by himself, had purged our sins, he sat down at the majesty of at the, down at the right hand of majesty on high as God Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords. So he's greater than the prophets. He's the creator. By himself, he purged us of, his, of our sins. He sits on the throne of God. And, and so right in line there, in verse number four, he talks about his, his, his place with angels. He says, having become so much better, greater, is maybe a better word there, having become so much greater than angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they have. Now that word become, we translate just in the next verse, we translate it as begotten. Having been begotten. Begotten uh, 
begotten so much better, he's so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He, who's he begotten of? Who did he, the begotten means to come forth from. Who did he come forth from? He came forth from the Father. And so that makes him much greater than Gabriel. It makes him much greater than, than uh, Michael. Uh, it makes him much greater than all the angels. And last, last time in, in verse number 2, we saw where he is heir of all things. He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What's it mean he's heir of all things? That means he owns everything. Everything belongs to him. Why does everything belong to him? Because he, he's the creator of all things. He's the creator of the angels. He created Michael. He created Gabriel. He created even Satan he created. And, and those are great names. Uh, you know, Satan has a notorious name, but it's a great name. Michael has a great name. Uh, with the Jews, Gabriel had the greatest of names. And, and he says he has a, a, obtained a much more excellent name than they. Because Jesus Christ is the name above all names. Why is he the name above all names? Because he's the creator of all things. He has a greater inheritance. He's the heir of all things. And then he says in verse number 5, he says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Today uh, you have come forth from me, you could say. I will be to him a father, and he will be to be a son. He quotes from two different places there. When he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you, he's quoting from that great messianic psalm number two. When he quotes the, the last part, you ought to be familiar with this because we just left that a, a few months ago. In 2 Samuel, he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David had decided that he was going to build the Lord a temple. And the Lord sent word to him through the prophet Nathan, uh, telling him that, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you an everlasting house. Through your loins will come the Messiah who will save the world. And so uh, I'm going to build you this house, and, and the Messiah is going to come through this house, and, and this Messiah, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Let's go back there where he says, today I have begotten you. That word begotten is an interesting word, Greek word. It's genus, G-E-N-E-S. Now, I'm transliterating there. But that word, we get our English word, genes. So what is, God, what is the Father saying there? Today, from my genes, you have come into existence. Jesus has the genes of who? He has the genes of the Father. It's the Father who begot uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, Gabriel was created. Uh, uh, Michael was created. Satan was created. All the angels was, were created. But Jesus was begotten from the genes of God. Now, what's really interesting here is he says, Today I have begotten you. Now, what's he mean by today? Today you have come forth from me with the genes of God. When was the today? When do you think the today was? 
When was the day that the Lord was speaking of way back when he told David this in 2 Samuel? He's speaking of something to do with the birth of Jesus Christ, isn't he? When was Jesus Christ begotten? He was begotten the day that Gabriel came to, or Michael came to, was it Gabriel or Michael? One of them came to Mary and told Mary that in your womb, the Holy Spirit is going to knit the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That's the day that he was begotten. The day that, that uh, he was knitted together in, in uh, Mary's womb. But what's interesting here, and this is what, what's really interesting, if you go over to uh, Acts chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 13, Paul speaks of th- this Jesus being, this being begotten today in the context of the resurrection. Listen to what he says. He says, God has fulfilled this for us in that he has raised Jesus up from the dead. And then he quotes from Psalm 2. He says, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. So when Paul's, in Paul's mind, when he's uh, quoting this uh, verse from Psalm chapter 2, he's quoting it in the context of the resurrection. In other words, Jesus was begotten from the grave. He came forth from the grave in a resurrected body, and who brought him up from the grave? God brought him up from the grave. God the Father brought him up from the grave. Today I have begotten you. Now what's really interesting about that is Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. So who raised it up? Did the Father raise Jesus up? Yeah, the Father raised Jesus up. The Spirit, we're told elsewhere that that we're, we're told that the Spirit raised Jesus up. Jesus says, I, raised my, I will raise myself up. So who raised him up? Hear, O Israel, your God is one God. Jehovah God raised Jesus from the dead. So he says, I, he says you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then he quotes again from 2 Samuel. He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In John 3.16, Hebrews 11.16, and elsewhere, there's, there's like three other places, Jesus is called the only begotten Son of God. The word there, the word in, in uh, verse number 5 here in Hebrews for begotten is genes. The word only begotten is monogenes. Only one with the genes of God. Only the genes of God. In other words, he came forth from the Father as the only one who has the genes of God. Humans don't have the genes of God. Angels don't have the genes of God. Jesus Christ came forth as the only one who has the genes of God, and all his genes are are the genes of God, and, and he also has human genes. He has the genes of David. And so, so he says, today I've begotten you, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now watch what he says next. And boy, this one really raises some theological problems. He says, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels 
of God, worship Him. He says, when He again brings the firstborn into the world. Now, you see any problem with that? Does that cause any theological problem for you? If Jesus is God, and His goings forth have been from everlasting, how can He be the firstborn? the first human being to be born. How can he be that? I mean, if he was born, then it implies that some place before he was born, he did not exist. See, this is a favorite passage of the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll say, look, see, he's not immortal. At some point in eternity past, he was born. And if you're born, you had to be created. You weren't born out of nothing. I mean, you had to be created. That's why the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that way back in eternity past, Jehovah created Jesus Christ. He was born. Then Jehovah created Michael the archangel, and he was born. And they will tell you that Michael the archangel and Jesus Christ are brothers. The Mormons take it one step further. They believe that since God created Satan, as great as he was, he created Michael as great as he was, Gabriel as great as he was, and he created Jesus as great as he was, even though Jesus was the first of these to be born, Jesus is the brother of Satan. Now, if you dig deep enough into Mormon theology, they, that's what they believe, that Jesus, they won't, they won't tell you that out on the streets, but if you dig deep, deep enough into what they believe, they believe that Jesus is, is the brother of Lucifer. And they will take you to a passage like this uh, uh, to, to prove that point. Now, here's their problem. They don't have a good understanding of Greek. They don't have a good understanding of, of, of uh, what these words mean. The word firstborn is the Greek word prototokos. Before all things is really what it means. Preeminent over all things. And the reason it's translated firstborn there is because the firstborn in Jewish life was who? The firstborn was the one who was the main heir. He got a double portion of the inheritance. And so the firstborn was whoever the firstborn was, he was the one who inherited his father's estate. He controlled his father's estate. So Jesus does control the estate of the father, so so in that sense, he would be the firstborn. It doesn't mean he's the first to be born, because who controlled uh, Isaac's estate? Jacob or Esau? Esau was born first, but who controlled the estate? Jacob did. Uh, over in Jeremiah chapter 11, we're told that Ephraim is the firstborn of Joseph. Okay, was he born, was Ephraim born first? No. Who was Joseph's first son? It was Manasseh. But he was the firstborn, and when Jacob makes this prophecy, you remember when Jacob's making the prophecy that he's about to die, and he's, he's prophesying over the, all the sons, and he lays his hands on Ephraim, and Jacob says, oh, no, don't put your hands on Ephraim, put your hands on Manasseh. He's the one who was born first. And Jacob says, no, Ephraim is going to be the preeminent tribe. Ephraim's going to be a great tribe, and Manasseh is going to be one of the least of the tribes. And so he receives the blessing. 
He's the firstborn. You see the difference there? So it, so it represents preeminence. It doesn't represent uh, the being born first. And Jesus comes forth from the Father as the preeminent one above all creation. And then he says, he says, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. I mean, he's so much more preeminent over all things that all the angels of God are to worship him. Who are, what's all in the Greek? All. All the angels, Gabriel, Michael, even Satan and his demons worship Jesus Christ. They don't adore Jesus Christ like Michael and Gabriel do and the good angels do. They hate Jesus Christ. But they worship him in the sense that they must bow to his will. But those good angels, they ever live to worship and adore Jesus Christ. I mean, if we were to open, if we were to have the this, this dimension open up and we could see heaven right now, we would see those angels and we would hear them crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, speaking of Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. I mean, let all the angels of God worship him. And then the last verse we'll look at right here, verse number seven. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits? He's quoting from Psalm 104. If you've ever read Psalm 104, it's all about the majesty of the Lord as creator. And here it's speaking of the creation of the angels. And, and it's in Psalm 104, it's about Lord Jehovah. Who's, who is Jesus? He's Jehovah God. Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of flower, uh, fire? I mean, who makes the, the majestic creatures we call angels? Who gives them their glory? Hey, nobody but Jesus Christ. And so let us worship him. One of the longest running TV shows over the or TV dramas of all time was this show called Touched by Angels. Very popular show when it was running. Its main it had two main characters, Monica and Tess. Monica was an angel and Tess was her supervisor. And Monica's main task was to, to go to people who were at some major crossroad in their life and to, to uh, give them some guidance from God. And, and I can understand why the show was so popular. I mean, everybody needs guidance from God from time to time. I mean, I believe I need guidance from God every minute of every day. But, but everybody at, at least believes they need some help from God from time to time. I mean, we all believe at times we need to be touched by an angel. You know, one of the characters in that show was the death angel. You know, just to strike a little fear in people and get them to make the right decision, the death angel would show up. I never watched the show, but, but I'm just, you know, tell you from what I read about it. But uh, there was the death angel. And, and actually, I think the story was based on some truth. I mean, God at times, I believe, uses angels to guide people, to, to direct them when they're about to make some big mistake. Maybe an angel comes in, maybe in the form of a man, or a, in, a, in a form of a man, and gives them some type of guidance that, that uh, puts them on the right track. I believe I've had that happen in my life. Uh, but here's the flaw, the major flaw of, of, of such stories. 
although angels do help us at times, their function is never to be a mediator between us and the Lord. That's not their function. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Timothy says, I mean, Paul says to Timothy, there is no mediator between God and man but the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. I mean, he's the one who we fellowship with God through. He's the one who we hear from God through. I mean, think about it. He's the creator of angels. He's the ruler of angels. He's the one the angels worship. He's the begotten of the Father. He has the genes of the Father. So, so let me ask you a question. Would you rather be touched by an angel or would you rather be touched by the maker of angels? I'll take the maker of angels every time. I'll take Jesus Christ himself every time. Let's look at what he's done for us. And go back to verse number two. He by himself purged us of all our sins. Was there an angel hanging on that cross? Do the angels have anything to do with taking away your sin and giving you the righteousness of God? No. Jesus by himself took away our sins. Jesus is the one who created us. He's the one who created the air that we breathe. He created the universe that we live in. Angels haven't created anything. from. They haven't created anything visible out of the invisible as Jesus has. By, he doesn't, angels don't hold all things together by the word of his, their power. Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. Can angels give you life? Can they give you the Holy Spirit? No. They can't impart their spirit to us. See, that's the message of Hebrews. Where are we putting our trust? I mean, I believe in angels. And we're going to see that they're ministering spirits. You know what their job is, the good angels? The good angels, you know what their job is? To, to serve you. To minister to you. To minister to those uh, who will inherit salvation, is what the author of Hebrews tells us. You know what evil angels, you know what their job is? To give you a hard time. To drive you to where you need to be. When you think you don't need God, Say, hello, evil angel. And they'll drive you right back to God. And so that's the message of the book of Hebrews. If we'll put our trust in him, in the one who created the angels, then you know what he'll do? He will give us the power to become sons and daughters of God. Joint heirs. How much does he own? All of it. Joint heirs with him and rulers of angels. You know, over in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that we will judge angels. Paul says, don't you know that one day you will judge angels? Now, be careful how you judge them, because remember, they can kill 175,000 people <laughs> just like that. But they won't be able to do that when you're judging angels. They'll fall down and worship you because you're going to be so glorious. Don't look that way now, but you're going to be, I promise you. 
So, Lord, we thank you for all you're doing for us. Let's, let's go to the Lord and pray, then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we just thank you for, for your word and what you teach us, and, Lord, just how much greater you are than angels. Lord, we thank you for the angels, the good angels. Lord, keep the bad angels away. Lord, but, but we thank you for how they minister to us and guide us. You use them in, in, in ways we don't even see or ways we can't even imagine. But, Lord, most of all, we want our focus to be on you. For, Father, you live in us through Jesus Christ. You live in us by your Holy Spirit. You never leave us or forsake us. So who needs angels, Lord, when we have you? We just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact that you have purged us of all our sins, Lord, uh, by what you did for us on the cross. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.